Hello and welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Now, if we would have our joke, please. Hello everyone out there in the Zoom world and Facebook world and in here. All right. I'm Joey the Joke Teller and I got another joke for you. Hello everyone. Hello. Um, All right. So, a $5 bill walks into the bar, and the bartender says, Hey, this is a singles bar. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All righty. Thank you, Joe. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Tom. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might and will distract others. So take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. So everybody ready? Yeah. So let's start the meditation.
it's time for the fog light prayer. God, God let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. From the big book, page 17, uh, I'm sorry, there is a solution. From the big book, page 17, the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out in which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked a friend to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful, careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes were described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsus unex unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. 
Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode or just turn off unless you are in the Zoom world or Facebook. Uh, <clears throat> so now, um, without further ado, uh, this is uh, Joe's seventh session, and he's awesome. Every time he speaks, it's a 20-minute hour. Uh, so come on up, Joe. Thank you very much. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Joe. And uh, great to be here tonight, sober and um, feeling well. And I hope everybody out there is feeling good too. And if you are not, we pray for you. And, uh, you know, these are, these are trying times, a lot of uncertainty out there. And, you know, we're having to readjust, aren't we? We're having to not really readjust because we've, Many of us have never been through uh, the thing that's going on right now. However, we can adjust, right? And um, so, having said that, I, I, you know, I was listening to Ryan read the uh, spiritual experience in the back of the book, the appendix. And you know, th there's probably a lot of people out there that aren't really sure when they approach this thing, or they, you know, they come into AA whether it's once or 10 times or 20, there, there's always a question of how long should this take, right? How long, um, what is the timeline for working the 12 steps of recovery? And, you know, quite frankly, back in the day when they had nothing but that to survive, to continue breathing, um, it says it in the spiritual experience. It says, it says this, it says, what often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline, self-reliance, self-centered, you know, and, and think about that statement. So what they're saying is, is if I'm really committed and I'm really devoted and I'm really obedient and, you know, and, and submit to the authority of my sponsor and let him, let him direct me and, and instruct me on how to do this thing, if I really approach it like I'm in the middle of the ocean in shark-infested waters and somebody rolls by in a boat and throws me a life preserver, and it's, it's a life preserver that is uh, going to take me on a spiritual transformation, a spiritual approach to solve my problems, I'm not going to argue about it. I don't know who would. It's either that or get eaten by the sharks. Right? I'm going to grab it with everything I got. But we have a very casual approach today, don't we? I mean, a lot of people perhaps get a message that might be conflicting with the message in this book. Um, you know, I've heard them all, and uh, I've tried them all. 
but the only one that really worked was really when, when booze and drugs had its way with me. When it really got me to the place of uh, give me a new experience of life or I'm taking myself out. I can't do this anymore. Not for another second. I don't even like breathing anymore. I hated the man in the mirror. He disgusted me. And I was, I was at that place where there was no purpose for me to continue living. <laughs> I mean, I, I had no desire. Death was, death was way more attractive to me than living through that nightmare out on that street. Troll Avenue, I call it. Troll Boulevard, right? Every city's got one. <laughs> and I was that guy walking down Broward Boulevard with all my earthly possessions in a public shopping bag. They're about this big. I don't know where I got the bag. It wasn't my bag. Right? And that's the way I existed for a long time. You know, I'd come in and I'd get periods of relief and safe harbor and a halfway house or here, there, and yet wherever. Um, but inevitably, ultimately, I always ran into the brick wall, right? The crash and burn, the devastating break of trust. You know, the, the ripping out of the hearts of the people that I love the most and that love me the most, right? And um, it was devastating. So, I mean, you know, when you, when you, become, when you become so dependent uh, on, on existing, right? Um, it's such a drag on those that love us. It's such an amazing, consuming uh, dark spot. In my, it was a dark spot in my family. You know, when my family can't live at peace, my mother, father, sisters, brothers, I got five sisters and I had a brother at the time. When all the topic of discussion was what's going on with Joe? What's going on with Joe? How's Joe doing? You know, is he, is he, is he showing up? Is he, have you talked to him lately? I mean, they didn't know what was going on with me. So, I mean, you know, we don't, we don't intend to do that to our families. We don't intend to do that to ourselves. But this thing is fatal. It's, you know, and, and listen, we've talked about it. We're going to recap this thing real quick. So, like, the problem wasn't stopping, was it? I mean, I stopped a lot of times. In the 16 years I was homeless, on and off, I stopped. I stopped every time I went to jail. I stopped every time I went to detox. I stopped from the point of detox into halfway, I stopped. You know, there were many times that I stopped. When I was hospitalized, I was stopped, right? My problem wasn't stopping. Nobody, pro- nobody no alcoholic or drug addict's problem is stopping. <laughs> it's the, the problem is that I can't stop starting. I can't stop starting, no matter how great the necessity of the wish, no matter what I stand to lose, no matter... How much I've accomplished in the small period of abstinence I may, have, I may have accumulated this, that, and the other, right? I can have it all on the table, and I'm going all in, right? So this thing, this, this thing that we've been talking about is if you've got this fatal disease, because if you can't stop when you ingest it, and you can't stop starting because your, your mind will come up with this fabricated lie, insidious lie, that simply is a lie that gives, I tell myself a lie that gives myself permission to put the poison in my body that's killing me. Figure that one out. That's certifiable, man. <laughs> they can lock you up for stuff like that. Right? 
So, I mean, I've got, that's, that's the problem. Ultimately, that's the problem. I've got to learn how to stay stopped. And listen, I've tried every human being on earth, every single one of them. I've used them up. Because I was sure I'd find somebody that could keep me stopped. I pretty much knew the man in the mirror couldn't keep me stopped, right? But I had to learn the hard way that no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism or, a.k.a., keep me stopped. That's the crux of the matter, isn't it? That's the genesis of everything. The fact that I can't stay stopped because of this obsessive lie, this mental thing, my mind, defective mind telling me that it'll be different this time, that it won't hurt me this time, and that I'll do a little of this and a little of that. And I'll, you know what I mean? I'm negotiating with the idiot. I'm negotiating with myself about you know, how I'm going to approach this thing. But ultimately, when I put it in, I can't stop. Because of the allergy of the body. So we're doomed, right? Unless, and listen, there's not, too many, there's not too many approaches out there. We're the main approach. We're the main, this, this playbook here is the main playbook. Of which many other playbooks have been written and plagiarized from this one. Right? So how, how many years do I have to struggle trying to make my playbook work. It will take you into your grave. If you continue to operate by the playbook that, 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 that you came in here with, you will continue to suffer. You can't not, right? So, like I said, we've got to burn that thing to the ground, and we do it inadvertently by <laughs> using and drinking, right? That's the, that's the key. That's the only job that booze and drugs must do. It must get us to a place of teachability. It must get us to a place where we have run out of good ideas and know it. It's one thing to be told that, but it's another thing to concede it to your innermost self, right? So we have to concede these things to our innermost self so that we can approach a spiritual solution. Nobody's going to approach a spiritual solution unless they're, they're out of gas, unless they're completely out of any other option. Right? I have to be done. Because if I'm not done, what do I need to do that for? What do I need to do? Well, well, you know, I've got all this argument and this contempt and you know, Herbert Spencer going on, right? So once I can come to those conclusions, the ABCs and how it works, that I'm an alcoholic, couldn't manage my own life, aka thinking, and that no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism, also known as keep me stopped. I have to come to a, I have to concede something. Where am I going to go for this thing? And the book says, well, he's cut, that God couldn't would if he were sought. God could and would, but only if he were sought. Now, many of us will go back to the childhood thing. Well, I know, like, like Roland Hazard did, right? He reflected that after all, he was a good church member. So what? You know what I mean? My parents dragged me to church too. But it didn't spell the necessary relief that they're talking about here. It didn't, spe- it didn't spell out that psychic change, that transformation, transformation, caterpillar to the butterfly. We come in one way, we go out a completely different way. You know, I, I, love, the, I love the story in, in the doctor's opinion where he says he came across this guy and, you know, had come to, come to, he had resembled him to some extent. And, and, and tried hard to get himself to say, I think I know this man, but 
This was after a year of not drinking, and he comes back, and he, 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 he didn't know who he was. That's what happens to us. We go back into our families after we have recovered from the hopeless, hopeless condition of mind and body, and we've incorporated some of this design into our, into our uh, constitution, our way of being, right? Our way of approach to life. And they're sitting there talking to, they're going, who is he? My God. You know, it's not fabricated. It's not calculated. It's not, you know, it's not rehearsed. It's real. Everybody in here knows somebody. Usually. And out there in the Zoomiverse, right? That has exhibited that type of behavior where you go, they'll never get it. They'll just never get it. Because their attitude stinks and their, their you know, their, their whole approach to this thing is, you know, this, that, and the other, Right? All the strikes are against him to approach a spiritual solution to their problem. But then you come up six months later and you see this person. And they've, they've laid hold. They've, got, they've grasped this. They've gotten somebody to teach them these instructions. And you go, you can't, even, you can't believe it, right? But we know. Like we know when somebody's acting and somebody's not. We know. And when there's somebody that is not attached to what you think of them any longer or what you're saying about them any longer or how you feel about them any longer and they're just fully self-expressed and they're on point, they're confident and committed, regardless of what you think, you'll know it's real. It's called authenticity. It's called being authentic, right? It was something I desperately wanted to experience. So, you know, we, 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 we get into this thing and we approach this thing and we come in, we find out we have a death sentence, we, we, we realize it's a spiritual approach that we're going to make a decision to turn our will, which is our thoughts and our lives, which is our actions, right, over to the care of God. Now, this whole program rests on how well we do a step three every day. In the initial approach, it's simply the gateway to step four. Any decision that we make in life, has to be validated, or it's not a decision, it's just an intention, right? We all had those, and we were demanding respect for those intentions, even though they produced nothing, right? Just that vomit. But if we make a decision, we take an action based on that decision. The decision can only be validated by action, right? And in, in the course of this, when we get to step three, we're making a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God's care by doing the fourth step. So the decision to act, the call for action from the decision, is actually doing the step four, is doing the investigation we talked about. We look at our resentments, our harms, our fears, and our, our sexual harms. Right? We look at the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror. To get an honest assessment of what's broken. Nothing can be fixed unless we identify what's broken. All our lives, we have been identifying how you're broken, how they're broken. We've been the consummate victims. You know, it's like, it's not my fault. Poor little old me. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything to get put in jail. I didn't do anything to get kicked out of my family and kicked out of the city I lived. I didn't do it. You know, it's their fault. They just don't understand it. Victim, victim, victim. And as long as we're a victim, we get to sit in our own skin in misery 
claiming to be right, even when we're wrong. Right? <clears throat> so we have to get this down on paper. We look at who hurt us, what they did to, to make us angry, what, and most importantly, what did it affect? What did it threaten? You know, we talked about the instincts last week. I call them desires, appetites, right? These God-given instincts that are absolutely perfect and necessary for our survival, our contribution to, to community, our, 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 our uh, you know, to survive, to survive in a comfortable way, to provide for our families, to provide for our health, to do the necessary things within reason, to be okay with what's going on. Kind of like that sane feeling, that sound peace of mind, that sound uh, position in life. I was never okay with what I had. I was always unokay with what I didn't have. Never what I had was good enough, ever. Right? Never. I was a selfish, self-centered, greedy little child. Full of entitlement and demands. Right? That, that was me. And when things didn't go my way, I would suck my thumb and cry like a baby and stomp my feet. Just like a child. Let's face it, I started drinking when I was 13 years old and I started drinking alcoholically. So my emotional state, my maturity ended at 13. I came into here a 22-year-old child with a 13-year-old mentality and an emotional state to... to, to, to uh, uh, reflect that. Sensitive, obstinate, stubborn, right? So the, 22, just because I came in and went to treatment, didn't mean that was, that was the beginning. Matter of fact, that was the beginning of the struggle, wasn't it? That was the beginning of the struggle. You mean to tell me I can't, I, I, drinking is going to kill me, okay. Uh, it's causing a lot of problems. Yeah, I get it. Um, you're going to have to stop drinking. Everybody was telling me that. My family, everybody was telling me that. Joe, you got a drinking problem. You got a real drinking problem. I knew I had a drinking problem. I wasn't an idiot. I may have denied it a little bit, but I knew I had a drinking problem. I knew I knew it was causing me all kinds of problems in my family and, and, and in my life, right? So I'm going to have to do this thing without drinking. I'm going to have to try and do this thing. My problem wasn't, my problem, my solution was drinking to a much deeper problem, right? So I get in here and they say, you know, if John would have told me, he says, look, Joe, he says, you're, you're, you're an alcoholic and you're really in a bad way and you're going to, you're going to have to quit drinking, but you know, you'll probably feel the same way and think the same way. And you know, you'll, I'd have said, well, why stop? Right? Why stop? Drinking and drugging medicated something very, very wrong with me on the inside. And what I didn't know is through this behavior, through these appetites, through this constant seeking and over-satisfaction, attempt to over-satisfy these instincts of character, these appetites, these desires for money, for property, for popularity, prestige, fame, applause, recognition... Sex, women, identification, ambition, 
where I'm going in life. You know that, right? My, my attempt to satisfy and oversatisfy those things could only come through you. You don't, get, you don't get satisfaction from those things or fulfilled in those things through a wall or an animal or anything else. You get it through people. You got to be a taker. You got to go out there and you got to take it. You got to game it. You got to take it. You got to scam it. You got to lie for it. You got to do whatever it takes. You got to take shortcuts. So through this action that I'm taking to get satisfied and oversatisfied in these instinctual drives, right, I'm hurting people. I'm lying, I'm cheating, I'm masquerading, I'm the, I'm the consummate imposter. And I will lie, I'll lie straight to you and you will believe that lie as long as I, my, my motive is to get something from you. That could just be a pat on the back. That could just be an attaboy. Or it could be a $5 bill. I don't know, it could be anything, right? A place, in, a place in, the, in the group, a place in the crowd, you know what I mean? It's like whatever it took, that I could, that I saw that might give me a little ease and comfort and relief. That's what I went for. And I hurt a lot of people, right? I gamed and scammed and cheated and lied, uh, you know, to everybody. So I became constitutionally incapable of being honest. My constitution, my construct, right? My uh, the way I navigated through life and my philosophy of life and the, the way I thought I needed to do things in order to get what it is I thought I wanted consisted of lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating, gaming, right? stealing, right? So, I mean, that was my constitution when I came into AA. It wasn't always that way, I'm sure. Now, listen, we all get brought up in, you know, fairly decent Environments where we're taught right from wrong, right? We're usually taught some kind of ideals, even though they don't stick. They don't, they don't work with the game. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't line up with what I need to get right now. So I kind of push them aside. Well, if you, don't, if you don't act on ideal, if you don't act on principle, right? If you don't act in some form of respectable societal decency as a human being, you're going to gravitate into becoming that which you act to be, right? So that's the guy I became. Does it mean I will always be that way? No, I can stop right now and I can make changes. So here we are. We do this investigation. The first time in my life I see who you get when, when I show up on the scene, right? I, I get a real glimpse of just how deviant I was. How much of an actor and a fraud and a phony I was. Oh, yeah. I was a mess. I didn't even know. I had, I had gotten so engrossed in getting over on people to be satisfied one way or another. To accommodate my addiction, of course, right? And in other ways. Didn't all, it wasn't all about the addiction. It wasn't all about the substance abuse. It was about human abuse, Right? I got so engrossed in it, I became it. And I didn't know how to get out of it. So I, when, when, when John Williams showed up, I, it's like, he was, sent, he was sent by God. I mean, this, this, man was, this man was the teacher. He showed up for, he just showed up in my life. 
So here I am. I've got a clear picture. I've got a clear recognition of who and what I have truly become. I've gotten that first piece of the humility definition, right? I've gotten a clear recognition of who and what I have become through this step four and the deeper dive in step five where I tell all my life story, where I I actually can embellish on that which I wrote, right? And go into the harm and the hurt. What did I do to people emotionally? What did I do to them emotionally? Viscerally, what did I do to them, you know, in, 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 in how I affected their lives and how I affected their lives with their families and their lives with their families and the ripple effect with the collateral damage was monstrous. I altered people's lives for the worse. I changed my mom and dad's habits, how they went out. The arguments between them about me. The arguments between them and my other siblings about me. The devastation. The violations. Right? I had to, I had to get it all out there. Because if I didn't get it out there, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to repeat it. If I don't identify it and incorporate it in this decision to be willing to have God take these defects. Right? These are defectual behaviors. These are liabilities in my life and my character. They're liabilities not only for me, but for everybody around me. I am not serving anybody in those defects. Nobody. I'm serving me. That's it, right? It's a selfish approach to life, selfish and self-centered if I continue to act on defectual behavior. The only way I can be of any good, establish any legacy (coughs) that would be remembered in a positive way in the hearts and minds of those that cross my path is to act on principle. I didn't know how to do that, but I'm learning now what not to do, right? I got a clear picture, clear recognition of who and what I've truly become, right? And then it says in this definition, followed by a sincere attempt, sincere. There's key words here, sincere, earnest, heartfelt, truthful, sincere effort to become who I can be, right? I like to say to become, hopefully, the man that God created me to be, intended for me to be. Who is that? Well, certainly not that guy I just identified in the, in the fourth and fifth step. Wasn't that dirtbag, right? I could say that about me. Wasn't him. Matter of fact, once I, once I identified all that stuff, my whole pursuit in life was to distance myself from that guy. I wanted to bury him. I didn't want him around him. I didn't want to think like him, look like him, talk like him, feel like him. I wanted nothing to do with that guy. I'm telling you, it's what happens to people like us. You get to hate and disgust who you become. When you actually see that picture. You know, when I start to, you know, they talk about the four-step being the, when, I, when, I've, when I've completed this four-step inventory, not only do I have a clear picture of who and what I have become, but all of a sudden the blame starts to be taken. All the blame that I was putting on others, all the victimization that I felt I was a victim of and the reason for my miserable life <coughs> and the consequences of my life, all that, right? Where was I going with that thought? 
Hold on. Brain freeze. <laughs> um, so when, I, when I'm able to look at my part in the play, right, those last couple of columns that we're talking about, first I look at what was threatened in that resentment or fear or harm, then I look at what I did to set the ball rolling, what part did I play, what feelings did I create in others, and the defects of character that were like linked, linked to it as a source, the, the thing that propelled me into it, to whatever I did, right? That once I see that, I stop blaming them. All of a sudden, miraculously, they're not really at fault anymore. You know what I mean? And if they're not really at fault, I'm looking at me. Well, if you hold somebody else responsible for your behavior, maybe, you know, maybe that'll work for a little while, but the problem is you'll always have the you'll always feel like you're the victim of their infliction, right? So to speak. So as long as you continue to blame other people for things that have happened in your life, you'll never grow out of it. They'll always own you. Do you follow me? The only way that I can change is to put the onus on me. I can change me, but I can't change them. Right? I can't change other people. So we have this, uh, we have this thing, we have this uh, template for um, effective living just by simply you know, stopping some of the behaviors that I've, I've come to identify. And then I have these list of defects, these, you know, the core defects of which emanate from me, I guess you would say, are inconsideration, selfishness, dishonesty, and fear, right? But from those branch off many. From those core defects, you get envy, you get greed, you get lust, you get pride, you get coveting, you get, you know, all the, all the other goodies, Right? They're manifested by those four core defects of character. So if I can identify in each relationship where I was either greedy or envious or lying or cheating or whatever that case is, I'll know exactly. Just by revealing this, I'll know what needs to be done in step nine, doesn't I? Don't I? Right? So everything that I'm doing in step four and five is leading me not just to an effectual um, part of the program where I change, where I begin to change and attempt to change. But through that, through that change, I'm going to emerge somebody that is going to be received by the other party in a different way. All right? Let me explain. So step six and seven is about identifying all the behaviors, all the motives, and the things that really caused all the destruction in my life, right? All the destruction in my life. Everything that I felt was wrong with my life and and all the people in it, the whole cast, right? If I would have come in and I would have just identified what they did, how they did it, what I affected in them, and then gone straight and made amends, they wouldn't have gotten, they would have gotten the same guy. So how are they going to get somebody different? How, how am I going to receive 
attempt to receive any kind of forgiveness from somebody that I hurt. Because let me tell you, you know, it's easy to say, well, well you got to forgive yourself. Well, how do you forgive yourself when somebody else needs to forgive me for the act that I committed? I can't take myself off the hook for that. That's pretty selfish, isn't it? Like, yeah, I'm just going to forgive myself for stealing, you know, $150 from that guy. How do you do that? Right? So when I step to that person, they've got to be able to experience my heart. This is where the journey begins in six and seven, right? So I have these defects. I have this. Now, now remember, step three. If we look at step three, it says this. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou will. You can take this prayer any time of your program, anytime. It says, relieve me of the bondage of self. That would be selfishness, self-centeredness, right? Self-consciousness, all that stuff. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, a.k.a. defects, right? That victory over these defects, victory over these shortcomings, my pursuit of life in absence of those showing up, right? Will bear witness to, to thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. What could be more glorifying to God and more honorable to God for removing the obsession of my, of my mind to, to, to drink and, and drug myself to death than displaying a person that is sincerely trying to grow into the image and likeness of their creator? Right? This is what we do. So I have to be pretty committed. I have to kind of double down now. So now I'm going to go out in the world and I'm going to listen to my coach direct me on how to show up in life, choose a defect or two, the most glaring ones. One of them was my language. My language was atrocious. I said the F-bomb like five times in a sentence. It was, it was like talking to a blithering idiot. You know, any, anybody with any kind of sense of morality would go, oh, gosh, clean it up. I talked filthy. Well, just take that one, that one thing. Lord, please. How do I decide to turn my will and my life over to your care today? Right? I'm going to decide to really watch and, and, and inventory my, my language. And I need you to help me. Step six is being willing to give that guy up. Give that language up. Seven is humbly asking him to do it. Because you know what? I'm automatic with it. I can't help me. I can't get me to where I want to go. I've got to have God's help. And I'll tell you this. I've got to have agents of change in my life. Agents of change. That means people like you guys, right? You can't see him, but I can, right? That means people that I select that are near and dear to me, that I can trust, that I know, if they, they're going to know my vision of who I want to become. They're going to know that I want to become an honorable, authentic, integrous, honest human being, committed and convicted for the good, right? They're going to know that. Does that mean I'm going to turn into that person? Not overnight. It's going to take a lifetime. 
but it sure helps to have people that are committed to my vision just as much as I'm committed to my vision. My sponsor says, Joe, I can't want this for you more than you do. You've got to participate. You mean I got to be in the dance? Yeah. I've got to be in action to become the man that I want to become. If I display that to God that I really want to become this person, he's going to, do, he's going to bestow it on me. But he's never going to give me something for nothing. I was always hooked on something for nothing. Give me something for nothing. You know what I mean? Give me the maximum return with the minimum effort. That was me. That's what I want. Right? And I want you to clap the whole time. I'm a good guy. I'm all, you know, all that nonsense. No, this is where I get off that train and I start to work for what I can get. And it's not easy. And listen, I cannot be my own monitor. My sponsor says this thing's about inventory. Yeah, step four. Well, no, it continues to be about inventory. And then it's more about inventory. And then as a matter of fact, you get to the next one. It's about inventory and inventory and inventory and inventory. Till the day you die. I have got to constantly monitor where I'm parked. What I'm saying. How I'm communicating. What I'm doing. Where, where am I? I mean, do I, do I do that spot check on a daily basis where, you know, I'm, I'm you know, uh, like I, all of a sudden I get lured into uh, looking at her and all of a sudden the lustful thoughts come and then all of a sudden the other behavior behind it come, right? No, I've got I've to stop that. I cannot be that guy anymore. I don't want to be that guy anymore. If I truly want to emerge reborn, then I've got to participate in the rebirth, right? So I think really step six and seven is, you know, uh, being willing, number one, to have that guy die, the guy that I had become, to let him pass away. And I've got to be committed to becoming the man that my sponsor is directing me to become, that the steps are, you know, this design is all about spiritual principles. It's all about highly regarded principles, integrity, courage, honesty, honor, service, Brotherly love, right? Willingness, discipline, commitment. All of those ingredients. Does it say it in here? No. But they're in here. They're in here. This is such a radical departure of anything that I had ever approached any time in my life. I met a Marine today and, and uh, you know, he wants, to, he wants to do this thing. I said, look, I said, remember when you met in the Marines? You wanted to be, it was a radical departure from the way you thought you needed to live your life, isn't it? Started with making your bed, didn't it? Started with being on it and on point and on time and, you know, punctual and disciplined, you know, and, and committed, right? I said, well, this is this. This is that on steroids. We're in the fight of our life. And we got to be on guard every single day. So as I do this work, I start to implement these principles into my life. I start to stop telling lies and I start telling the truth. And I like how it feels. I feel confident that I don't have to remember anything dishonest, right? I do, I, I, I do things I don't want to do. Everything that this book offers is outside the box of comfort. Nothing we do in here is comfortable. But it will spell the necessary relief for ease and comfort, won't it? 
right? All the things that I was running from, all those internal uh, demons that were going on inside me, that internal condition of fear and loneliness and, you know, bewilderment and anger and uh, regret, remorse, shame, embarrassment, all of those ingredients were just, I was riddled with it. Now by doing this work and doing four and five and committing to change in six and asking God for help in seven, I'm starting to, I'm starting to, I'm not walking down like this anymore, looking at the ground. I'm walking up. I am, I'm, I'm starting to burn. I'm starting to feel this fire inside of me because all of a sudden God starts to indwell me. All of a sudden I've been asking God, please, you know, let me reveal yourself to me. Let me know you're there. That was my, that was my prayer for the longest. And all of a sudden I knew he was there. It wasn't, it wasn't a theory. It wasn't like, you know, I, I don't have to explain it to you. <laughs> I don't have to explain it to anybody. He's real to me. And it's a central fact of my life. They said that would happen. And that happened. Right? I have something. I have a source of power accessible by this work. God's power. Number one, that at any time I get tempted, my mind goes to what it did to me rather than what it did for me. That's a complete radical departure from what it did for me, right? When I could only think about what it did for me because I needed to medicate. That's all gone. The fear has, this, a lot of these things, when we divulge them, we get liberated from them, right? So <clears throat> I have access to this power. And Everything that every, every human being, we have five senses, right? What we see, what we hear, what we feel, what we taste, and what we touch. Or I think that's all of them, right? But we're going through life gathering all the information and all the needed things that we need in order to navigate successfully through life. But there's one problem. We don't have a spiritual vision. We don't have a spiritual perspective. And once that's gained, once God provides that to you, you look at life in a completely different way. Things that were important, the chase, let me reveal it in step four, don't we? What did I chase? Money, property, prestige, all that stuff. I never had enough. I thought that was what I needed to get ease and comfort, to feel like I belonged, to feel like I was successful, feel like I was worthy of something, right? And it never filled the hole. So now... I have this ease and comfort, this endless resource of ease and comfort from God himself, me and him. Just, you know, it's faith. I came in willing to believe. What did I have to lose? You know, we get in there, we get in, we agnostic. Are you, do you now believe or are you willing to believe? The power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity. Well, I had, what did I have to lose? Right? Circumstances made me willing to believe. John was telling me, you know, if you're willing to believe, then you're on your way, pal. And I believed him. He says, this is your cornerstone. This is where you're going to build the arch through which you'll walk a free man. And then when we get in how it works, I put him in charge. I give him his rightful place. I'm done testing the water. I'm done with the contempt. I'm done with all the skepticism about this power called God. Because that was what kept a wedge between him and I. 
Booze and drugs had to have its way. Right? And when I get there, all of a sudden, it's like remarkable things start to happen. I start to feel guided. I start to feel safe. I start to feel secure. I start to feel protected. I start to feel directed, right? And of course, I get corrected, right? So God is doing it all. Either he's doing it in my heart and in my soul by the internal things that we feel and, and sense, or it's happening from others that I put in charge of my life, that I, that I trust in my life. So I'm going through this thing, and I'm picking out the, the, the cursing, and then I'm going to the, you know, to the lust thing, and then I'm going to, you know, uh, all, you know, all the defects of character, being inconsiderate, I'm, and I'm, I'm concentrating one or at most two per day, and I'm communicating with my sponsor. This is what I'm going to work on today. Um, I'll check in with you later and tell you how I'm doing. Right? If something comes up and I screw up, I'll call you immediately. And little by slowly, you know, when you're working on something specifically, the other person that, like when I was the language thing, when I was talking to people, I mean, I talked to people that used it too, you know, lots of times, right? But what was weird was I would have, use it, it would slip and come out in conversation. And I'd say, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. And what are you talking about? You know, because they're none the wiser. And I would say, I am, I am truly trying to grow out of using that kind of language. I don't want to use that kind of language anymore. It doesn't serve anything. It doesn't, doesn't serve anything. It doesn't make anything more impactful or less impactful. It's just, it's stupid, really. It shows my ignorance, doesn't it? So whether they got it or not is irrelevant. It was the admission. It was the, it was the vulnerable position to say, look, this is not who I am. I apologize for saying that. It would ha- Sometimes it would happen with older people where they would get, you know, I mean, th- that's offensive stuff. But little by slowly, what would happen is I would start to catch myself. See, what happens is when we, when we go and make these amends, which we'll talk about next week, I am in the preparation. I am, I am in that phase of my development, right? Not the amends phase, but the prior phase of development and reconstruction into somebody that might present to whoever I'm going to be making amends to a different human being. Somebody that's living from a heart, somebody that's sincere about wanting to change. Because if I'm not, there's no sense in doing it. There's no sense in going to eight and nine, right? So this is six and seven, serious business. This is the step they say that separates the men from the boys, right? They say that, if I may... I'm going to jump out of the big book for a second because there's really only two paragraphs in the big book about six and seven, isn't there? You know why? I tell you why I think it's only two. Because back in that day, everything that they did was life and death. Everything, their lives hanged, hung on everything they did here to continue to live. There was nothing else. This is, there was nothing else. <laughs> it's like, alcoholics and drug addicts got locked up or died, and that was it. They lived a very sorrowful, painful, agonizing life. Lonely, unbelievable. So when you have something like this presented to you as a way out, the arguments are very little, right? Today, it's like, will it fit in my job schedule? Will it? It's like, my God, man, 
And you know why? That's why we have such dismal numbers in this program. People take a casual approach like it's some psychosocial thing. What happened to the life and death thing? says this. Since most of us are born with abundance of natural desires, isn't it strange we often far let, let these far exceed their intended purpose? When they drive us blindly or we willfully demand that they supply us more with more satisfaction, sat, satisfactions or pleasures than are possible or do us, that is the point at which we depart from the de- degree of perfection that God wishes for us here on earth. So you can give us these things to conquer. He gave us these things to be satisfied. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a lot of money. Nothing wrong with a lot of cars, a lot of stuff. The problem is when I start to worship it. That's when I start to deviate. Right? All the little lowercase gods that I have in my life. All those things that I thought were so important for me to be somebody or feel like a somebody. Were nothing. They were just nothing. So it says, step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects character is AA's way of stating the best possible attitude one can take to make a beginning on this lifetime job, right? So when we get into such an addictive behavior in such a way, a a method of a, a way of being that is so contradictory to acceptability, um, it's impossible to change unless you have help, right? I mean, there's only one way out of this thing. So in this preparation and in this development stage that I am in and wanting to have God take these defects of character and then humbly asking him to do so is my expression to him of deciding to turn my will and my life over to his care at this stage of the game. This is how I'm going to display to you, Lord, how I'm going to decide how the action I'm going to take that will validate a decision that I'm making this morning that I hope I can do is pleasing and acceptable to you. Right? And then I go out on my day. And it's amazing how things happen. But through this phase, I will prepare myself to be received as a different human being when I get to that amends phase. This is critical. All right? So thank you. I'll see you next week. All righty. Thank you, Joe. Uh, let's give it up for Joe one more time. And now if we would have our alcoholic secretary report. Hello, everyone. I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. My name is Joey. Hi, Joey. Um, In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. The baskets are going around in here, but for all you people, lovely people in Zoom slash Facebook world, never forget... um, don't feel bad. You can still contribute to this awesome program that helps save your life by going to AA.org, following the link there. Um, uh, AA has been using his prudent reserves during the pandy time, so they can definitely use your contributions. Um, and, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, 
This time I've asked a member named Mark to come read the recovered statement. He's a great member of Alcoholics Anonymous in this program. He's a phenomenal guy. Um, And we do read this uh, statement to state why many people refer to themselves as recovered versus recovering alcoholics, what exactly that means to be a recovered alcoholic. And yeah, here's Mark. And thank you. Hello, my name is Mark. I'm a recovered alcoholic. So I'm going to read the recovered statement. We are not cured of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime. We have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Real quick, I've been told uh, to give a shout-out to a friend, Ronnie. Ronnie G. from Maryland is watching tonight. So, Ronnie. How's it going, Ronnie? Hi. <laughs> Yo, what up, Ron Ron? All right. <laughs> Ronnie's a great man. Um, all righty. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time and neither should this sacred approach back to his loving arms. This is, thank you, sir. Thank you, Joe. Uh, this ADD here. All right, sorry. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. At this time, I'm going to ask a show of hands of recovered alcoholics, and also in the Zoom and Facebook, please throw those hands up. Um, and now, please, um, anyone that needs a sponsor, uh, please raise your hand um, in the Zoom room, and all your recovered alcoholics, please reach out to them, help them, uh, bring them to God. That'd be a beautiful thing. That's why we're here. Um, oh, quick little reminder. Uh, the day of Thanksgiving is next week. We will not have a meeting. <laughs> right? That's why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, enjoy it. God bless. We have a lot to be thankful for. Um, yeah, amen. All right. Um, we yeah, have gratitude lists, very important on Thanksgiving. Get your family involved. It's fun. You know, you see them, if not. That, all right. Thank you. Um, please join us uh, Monday night. So we'll be here. Big book study um, meeting. It's a great time. We got old Bill. We got, we got um, Ryan on traditions, Chris, Mike Chase. Great times. Um, fellowship starts at six thirty. Big book study start, starts at seven fifteen. Come on in. Would love to see you. Um, or you, you get it. Zoom. Yeah. All right. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, big book dictionaries. First sale. Your local intergroup. Pop on in. Say hello to them. Pick some up. Contribute to the program. Bang bang boom. Everyone wins. We meet every Thursday starting at seven fifteen. Fellowship starting at six thirty. Hope you all enjoying that slideshow. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> and. It's a great 
history of AA, so on. Enjoy that. Uh, we have to be courteous and ready to begin at the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. Or not next week. You get it. Sorry. Thanks, Joey. Thank you, Beth. Joe. Thank you, Joe. We have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online, free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night book study once again. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up in the center aisle. Uh, Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. See you all Monday. Uh, but this Thursday, have a happy Thanksgiving. Godspeed. Hey, hey, hey. Heart is heavy. Soul is thirsty. Body's aching. I am desperately in need of restoration.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life 
now Growing vines They twist and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time That's at my door Never before I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Cause this broken man I traveled far and wide through the great divide through his own heart, yeah. Just about to start. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Got one man that just won't set me free. Well, clap your 